0: If you love all things gardening, why not join us at our spring fair from the 3rd to the 5th of May at Bewley in Hampshire. You'll find everything you need to kickstart the season. Find out more at bbcgardener'sworldfair.com. See you there. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. At KPMG, our people make the difference. Combining the power of people and technology, we uncover brighter insights innovate bolder solutions, and create better data-driven outcomes. KPMG, make the difference.
1: This episode is brought to you by the Inspire Collection by Kalia. Just because you're working out doesn't mean you shouldn't look fabulous. The Inspire Collection by Kalia was designed with both style and performance in mind. It looks good, feels good, and stays put no matter how you move. And the collection has everything you need for a day at the gym a support raw crop tanks bike shorts amazing leggings and more it's their most versatile collection yet shop the Inspire collection by kalia now exclusively at dick sporting goods hello
0: and welcome to the bbc gardener's world magazine podcast brought to you by the team here at the magazine join us as we chat all things gardening with the nation's favorite experts
1: Do you want to grow veg but think your outdoor space is just too small? Are you stumped when it comes to knowing which veg and how you can grow bumper crops of in just pots, containers or raised beds? Hello, I'm Miranda. Welcome to this episode. Today I'm chatting to Hugh Richards, gardener and author, who posts practical weekly videos on his very popular YouTube channel. Today Hugh shares his wealth of knowledge with us to explore solutions and even advantages to growing in a small space, meaning you can get growing in whatever size plot you've got. I started by asking him why homegrown food is so much better than shop-bought
0: homegrown food for me is so much better because you actually harvest things when they're meant to be eaten when you buy something from a supermarket chances are it's been harvested prematurely or it's been stored for a long time or it's grown out of season so for me homegrown food is one of my closest connections to seasonality uh, the natural world and of course flavor because if you're growing stuff in healthy soil where there's more nutrients then what you're growing tastes better you eat it when it's meant to be and and honestly, what's not to love?
1: Oh, completely. And with a lot of people wanting to get into veg growing, they haven't got a big lot of space. You know, that is the reality for a lot of gardeners wanting to start growing food or growing more food. Yeah. Um, There there are restrictions for them. Um, What is the best advice you would give for someone looking to grow more veg in a small space? Well,
0: actually, the first thing uh, I'd say is actually disregard veg and explore the world of herbs. Because if you're thinking about um, what holds the biggest impact? What, what packs the most punch when you're thinking about small spaces? Herbs are absolutely the creme de la creme, um, as to say, because what herbs offer is... For relatively little plant matter, they offer so much flavour, so much depth, kind of profiles to a whole range of things. You can have your sweet herbs. So when you're having a gin and tonic and you can put some mint or lemon verbena in, or you can have your more savoury herbs. So if you're doing like some roast potatoes and you sprinkle some thyme or some fresh rosemary, and the thing is, as well, is especially if you're looking at either annual herbs or perennial herbs, that are extremely productive. You can grow them on your windowsill. You can even grow them as microgreens such as basil and coriander. There is such a big world there. So if you focus on how to make your food taste better through growing herbs and you get that sorted and you experiment with lots of recipes, then I say it's time to start moving on to something more, more, Kind of around the realms of salads.
1: Absolutely. So if you were going to grow just one herb, which one would it be, Hugh?
0: Um, can I pick one for sweet and one for savoury?
1: you can okay. i'll give you that yeah
0: well um sweet uh will have to be lemon verbena i mean as soon as i discovered lemon verbena um lemon barn basically became irrelevant and i've forgotten about it and I, i'm so sorry lemon balm, uh, but that's just how it is now in terms of a savory I, I i reckon i reckon i'd go um in terms of perennial it would be time in terms of more of an annual it would be coriander
1: Oh, good choices. Desert Island herbs. I like it. Yes, Uh,
0: absolutely.
1: (laughs) They're definitely up there with with mine. So you describe yourself as a regenerative foodie. Can you explain that briefly to us? What does that mean? Yes.
0: um, So one of my big passions is regenerative agriculture and the way that that can actually improve the climate that we live in and regenerate our soils, regenerate our communities, um, ourselves and uh, put Simply, even though there's a few different running definitions, for me um, as a regenerative foodie, I support farms and producers who put soil health at the forefront of the way that they produce food, and I eat with the season's. So that obviously links in um, with, with gardening. Now, of course, I'm not perfect. It's Everyone is a hypocrite when it comes to the climate, but it's about doing whatever you can. So whether it's buying from local producers or then freezing stuff to use later on in the season. But ultimately, it's about how can we make small improvements year on year rather than sustainable, which means to sustain something, to keep something at the same pace, Regenerative is about constantly making improvements and in all honesty it's it's the only kind of hope that I have left because we've got a lot of discussions happening right now um, about the future of the climate and for me I think the biggest thing missing from that discussion is the whole world of regenerative agriculture.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think it's key what we can do at home, isn't absolutely.
0: it? Absolutely. We our we vote with what we buy things from and what we choose to support. And I think it's very easy to forget how much power we actually hold as a consumers.
1: Oh, completely. So back to um, small space growing and herbs I like. And you mentioned salad. I love growing salad because I, I find it so easy to grow, but also easy to prepare. Do you mean, compared to a root vegetable, real quick turnaround, if you want a quick lunch and you're growing some salads, so will you talk to us a little bit about growing salads as a beginner, especially? The first
0: thing you need to know is know how to make salad dressings, because the thing that frustrates me the most about, uh, I'd say like a lot of British pubs and restaurants is you go and you get something and a side salad comes and there's either a little measly drizzle of olive oil. Perhaps if it's kind of fancy, it's a bit of balsamic vinegar. But more often than not, it's just plain leaves. And no wonder people like kind of cringe at the thought of salad. So you, there's actually so many different kinds of dressings you can put onto salads. And you can get creative. You can build so much into it. So firstly, you actually nail salad dressings become a salad dressing connoisseur and then you can start growing all of your leaves that you'll actually be excited about eating because you know how much of a foundation they can create to building on top of a really delicious meal be it breakfast lunch or supper
1: oh i find the taste so different as well compared to what you sort of get used to with a bag of limp salad exactly that's the freshness literally
0: cut it and eat it within minutes
1: what would you recommend which salad leaves
0: Um, good for flavour? I think it's down to you. I I like more of the mustard realms because that that obviously has a more spicy, peppery flavour. One of the most underrated vegetables I think there is, is called uh, Celtis. So it's kind of a type of lettuce and it's extremely productive. And you can also eat the stems as well. Um, And yeah, I I highly recommend uh, Celtis. Obviously, you have a whole plethora of choices when it comes to different um, lettuce types. You've got like your cos, your baby gem, things like that. Um, But what I'd say, and this is part of my philosophy of gardening, is to always experiment, always try new things. Because if you're not experimenting, I think you're missing out. And Chances are, if you don't like one type of something, but you try a different type, um, for example, beetroot, you know, you, you might find beetroot a little bit too earthy, but then you grow a golden beetroot and you're like, oh, this is so good and sweet. Then, you know, I think it's really important to build up your kind of um, uh, kind of list book of go-to varieties.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I suppose if you're growing in a small space, so whether that's a small part of the garden, a container, pots, a raised bed, A quick crop's better to grow than sort of longer term crops. What's your view on that? Uh,
0: My view on gardening, and I think this is shared with a lot of gardeners, um, but a lot of budding gardeners really need to hear this bit of advice, is actually grow what you enjoy. So obviously there's that whole side of trying to grow to save money, but you've also got to grow in a way of getting excited about something. So there's no point growing things like, Radish, just yes, they take four weeks in their harvest. But if you're not really keen about radish, you're not you're not hungry for the harvest. You know, like no pun intended. Um, And and also you're not um, you you need that motivation to get you going. So you need to choose something that you actually get excited about. So for example, you might love potato wedges. I love potato wedges, or you might love strawberries um, or peas, fresh peas. Uh, anything like that. So choose maybe just two or three things in your first year that really excite you, that you love. And I, I promise you, like I, f- I think a lot of people find this when they grow tomatoes and uh, that they have their first ever homegrown tomato. And then, and then they go to a shop and they're bitterly disappointed with any other tomato that they buy. Um, and, and I like that because you can see, you can literally taste the difference.
1: Oh, completely. And I was going to say tomatoes would be that for me if I was to grow one crop. They're so versatile. Yes. They're sweet. They're so lovely to cook for other people, aren't they? And they just look brilliant. Just a really, really quick
0: side tip on tomatoes <laughs> is if you have a more challenging environment, um, opt for cherry tomatoes because those tend to mature a little bit sooner than your kind of more salady type tomatoes.
1: No, that's really a really good tip. And I've heard that before, You because know, people don't realise you can end up with them splitting, yeah. you know, if the watering is maybe not very regular and those little cherry tomatoes tiny toms or do you yeah. have any cultivars that you particularly like uh,
0: for me a really simple one just red cherry that has just been mm. so prolific for me this year um i obviously love going down their heritage varieties but you know if you want to go to i think red cherry is fantastic
1: oh marvelous and uh are, are you an intercropper Hugh? do you crop between crops? i'm an
0: all kind of cropper uh <laughs> Do you
1: have any tips on... And would you like to explain what intercropping is and how you could do it in a small space, I suppose? Yeah,
0: so intercropping is... There's a few different... versions of this. So it's, it's almost like polyculture as well. So instead of mon- monoculture where you grow just one thing, polyculture is growing a few things together. And when you think about intercropping, I think the easiest way to imagine it is um, what the Native Americans used to do, um, uh, called the three sisters method. So the three sisters method comprises of um, corn, so sweet corn, a climbing bean, and some kind of squash for example pumpkin so what they do to maximize space and efficiency and to use all three crops together to their um, maximum potential is the corn grows upwards which is great because you're using that vertical space you're then using the corn plants as trellising for your climbing beans so then you get another crop and then as a kind of a cover layer ground mulch making the most of the space which isn't really utilized you then grow your squash or your pumpkins so instead of just growing something like pumpkins or instead of just growing something like sweet corn you're growing two extra crops and i think that's the easiest kind of way of describing what intercropping is
1: i think yeah and the three sisters method i think is a really concise way of explaining it i would warn though however and this is a really good point i think it depends where you live yeah it's I not mean, the suitable in this <laughs> climate
0: what i'd recommend <laughs> no. is forget the pumpkin and just grow the beans up the sweet corn Or you could um, do an alternative to that. And this is the thing about gardening. I think it's really important not to see gardening as a set of rules, um, but as a guideline that you can adapt and experiment with. Um, What my dad did this year, um, which worked well, was grow sweet corn, but underplant it with um, French dwarf beans.
1: Oh, that's interesting. So, I mean, and just to clarify, the difference being in, in parts of America, it's obviously a lot warmer exactly. and that light a more favourable climate. Yeah, which favorable.
0: is why you know, like, <laughs> if you look at tropical climates, food forests grow so well there, and they're so abundant and productive. But, like, in all honesty, it's it's hard to reach that kind of abundance if you're trying to do a food forest here in the UK.
1: Is that something when it comes to small spaces? And I'm guilty here. Yeah. I, I cram what I can um is light an issue do you have to be aware of your crops that you're not diluting what you can grow by growing too many in a small space
0: yeah it's a really tough thing uh sometimes in the spring i plant things kind of a bit too closely together because i'm like there's no way that they'll grow that big and then you're like oh my gosh they're they're giant (laughs) um Light is a a really important thing. What you actually want to do is you want to prioritise certain aspects of your garden. So your shadier parts are better for your leafy greens and then the sunnier parts are better for your sun-loving crops and then the partial shade is kind of the things in the middle.
1: Yeah, I always try and think about what's sort of native as well as a, as a good idea. You know, if it's from the Mediterranean or South America originally, it's probably going to want sun. Yes. If it grows in the wild here, you can probably lob it in the shade. <laughs> yes,
0: exactly. That's a, that's a really good point. <laughs>
1: um, How do you avoid being pushed to harvest things you wouldn't want to in order to get your next crops in when you're growing in a smaller space?
0: Uh, for me, what I'd say is instead of growing big blocks of like kind of a block of one thing like just one container full of salads or lettuce actually almost do a polyculture in terms of your containers so grow a bit of lettuce some beans um, uh, something like sprawling like nasturtiums or something so it means that you're actually always Forced to grow in smaller quantities because it's always surprising how much food can be grown. So then it means if one section, for example, the lettuce runs to seed in one of the containers, you can you can just replace that. So instead of looking to do everything in one go, what you want to do is something called succession planting, which is instead of sowing everything in one go, spread out the sowings. So leave it every two or three weeks before you just sow another like a couple of lettuce seeds or something, just so you have a gradual conveyor belt rather than getting an overabundance, a glut, as we call them as gardeners. And then you're suddenly paralysed because you're like, what do I do with all these courgettes? <laughs>
1: yes. You end up with lots of friends though, don't you? And you've got uh, uh, you a <laughs> You end up with spare. a lot of
0: people who look outside their front door and they go, oh no, the <laughs> gardeners come again and lock their door. Hide, hide, turn off the TV. We don't want any more courgettes.
1: <laughs> Enough fritters. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Marvellous. So let's imagine we've got a small space. Um, I know you do raised beds. Yeah. How, how deep does a raised bed need to be in order to, to work?
0: Uh... Like with a lot of things, the answer is it depends. However, what I would say is that majority of what you can grow can be in about 20 centimetres deep. So the reason why I grow in raised beds, just as a quick aside, is because uh, the garden is actually where there used to be a load of sheds and there's only a very small amount of topsoil before you hit hard ground and concrete. So the idea is raised beds is instead of trying to grow in the ground, you raise it up and then you can literally grow anywhere.
1: Yeah, no, I thought about it because I saw you using decking boards and I thought they're not actually that deep, no. you know.
0: I mean, for especially like your sh- a lot of vegetables are, are pretty shallow, um, e- even in- including uh, some root vegetable types, such as, um, I know swede is technically a brassica, but I call it a root vegetable, um, and beetroot. They're, they're actually really shallow. And then, all, of course, yeah. all your salads. So you could easily get away with 15 centimetres, perhaps even 10. Um, I... I I wouldn't want to go lower than fifteen centimeters because then it dries out a lot faster. Um but yeah, that's that's just kind of rule of thumb. At least fifteen, aim for twenty.
1: And do you do anything to the ground below it in order that if they if anything does end up going down?
0: No. No need. No, no.
1: <laughs> no, brilliant. That's nice and easy. <laughs> so we've got our raised bed. Maybe we've made it our decking boards. We've got pots. We've got containers. What are we filling them with in order to really maximise those harvests?
0: I think ultimately we, we've got to think about our budget because, like topsoil and compost, cost different prices. Um, as as like a rule of thumb, what I'd say is fill the bottom um, kind of load with some kind of topsoil that you can find um it, it's important that you get it from a good source that isn't either from either like a brownfield site which could contain chemicals um or isn't like full of weed seeds or anything like that but then uh the simplest thing to do is, is put that layer of soil and then mulch or cover the top kind of four to five centimeters so two inches with some kind of um well broken down organic matter um be it something like two-year-old cow manure or things like compost just anything like that five centimeter layer is a good kind of goal um, to go with and you don't even need to fork it in it's naturally going to kind of work into the soil through biological processes
1: and it's an interesting point you raise i used to grow um, in london and a lot of london is old factory sites especially the east end of london Um and I think I would make a point of saying if you're unsure do growing compost you know Absolutely. if you're not sure about what that soil is you know because it goes everything goes into the vegetables. exactly don't they? I
0: mean if you can afford if you can afford it then yeah fill everything with compost um it's it's um it's amazing how effective it is. So many people still think you can't just grow in compost or like, for example, starting seeds. I start all of my seeds in just 100% multi-purpose compost. I don't do any special seed mixes. Uh, I, I think it's a little bit of a scam.
1: <laughs> oh, it's interesting. And obviously we we, we use peat-free. Do yes. you sow directly into the ground or are you sowing into seed trays and modules? What's your
0: You know what? Method? I'm always ebbing and flowing in terms of approaching this. Um, I'd say the majority is starting off uh, in in pots and containers and then transplanting. However, I think ultimately, if you're just strictly looking at plant health and understanding that roots are so important, um sowing direct will give you more kind of resilient seedlings as long as you overcome potential slug issues. One of the things, if you have a lot of slugs, is that you actually grow. Plants to be pretty mature in in pots and then plant them out, and then they'll they're much more likely to survive. But if I could only pick between one or two um, in my current climate, it'd probably be with transplanting. But if it was ever so slightly warmer, like maybe on the south coast or something, I'd I'd probably go with sowing direct
1: super so and by transplanting you mean starting in modules and then planting them out when they're sort of we always say sort of big enough to handle or Uh,
0: (laughs) i I don't think it really matters it's it's like some things i transplant out really really late the most important thing is as long as they've got enough root space
1: and and it's warm enough but any other tips on slugs while we're on them
0: uh yeah um focus less on the attacking and more on the preventing and apparently, something else that was crazy um, that I heard, uh, I don't know how true this is, but I, I believe it. Um, if you do like a beer trap for slugs, uh, apparently it's yeah. really bad because they can smell it from something like 200 yards away. So, <laughs> so what you actually want to do is give your neighbour a beer slug pub or slug trap for, uh, for their Christmas gift. So then they'll become the magnet. <laughs>
1: Oh, that's cheeky, but I'm not going to let you just get away with saying prevention's better than cure. How how do you prevent?
0: So uh, the, the main thing is, is you need to think like a slug. So slugs like things to hide underneath. They like things like pots and bits of wood or even like old dead leaves that are on the ground. So you want to remove all that kind of stuff. And if you have grass, so like my garden, I have grass paths and everything, you should just going to make sure that you keep the grass down low because they love hiding in really long grass. Another thing that I experiment with and do as well is if, if I mean, I don't know how, but I'm very lucky. I, I ha- have very, very little slug problems. But if I am a little bit cautious, I actually cut up bits of um, bramble, the spiky canes and then I like build little fences around um around my plants it's not going to stop every single slug um but it is it is a a big help and it's quite fun to do
1: so if we were getting started with a small space growing what would be the essential kit you would recommend someone gets hold of
0: the first thing uh whenever you're thinking about gardening is um I think you have to actually prioritize your soil health over growing plants so, for me as a gardener, I'm more of, um, and this comes from the regenerative agriculture space, but I'm more of a, of a, a- a soil health practitioner or or a soil grower first, kind of plants grower second. Um, So what you want to do is find some kind of compost setup that works for you. So there's some great things like hot bin composting, um, which is protected from any rodents, for example. You could look at things like bokashi composting. There's a lot of methods out there and products available
1: what is that second one you mentioned? I'm not sure I'm familiar.
0: Bokashi composting um, is an anaerobic method of composting, which is effectively fermenting organic matter using a um, microbial solution. Um, and yeah, it, 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 it works wonders. There's, there's a lot of information online. B-O-K-A-S-H-I, Bokashi.
1: Is this a little bit like making soups and liquid feeds, or um,
0: slightly? I think I think it's it's related to more of like kind of Korean natural farming um, style methods. But you know, fermentation is if we eat fermented food, it's so good for our guts. and if we use fermented processes in the soil, it's the same thing.
1: Oh, that's interesting. So it's the the microbial activity, and
0: you know, the one thing that I wish every gardener new is that biology is more important than the chemistry of the soil because if you get the biology right everything else to to like you know a massive degree falls into place um
1: but if we're growing if we're maximizing our crops yeah. if we're growing as much as we can in a space do we need to be feeding more
0: um again this is a question of it depends effectively on what you're doing so in terms of if you've got really hungry crops like tomatoes, you might want to feed them more. Now, of course, I would never, ever, ever recommend you buy kind of chemical feeds or non organic feeds. Um, you want to create your own natural feeds, whether it's soaking a, a bucket of weeds or finding some comfrey, for example, or making um, fermented plant juices. There's a lot of options available. Um, but you just want to do like a little and often approach. And there's there's an amazing world out there in terms of what is and isn't available. Now, for a bigger garden allotment, you will require feeds less. However, in small gardens, um, you can kind of become your own kind of crazy gardener. Uh, uh, like I like to do an experiment and create your own feeds and, and a little goes a long way.
1: I, I've heard you talk about nutrient banking, which sounds like a very smug gardener thing to do this time of year, sort of uh, get your feeds all, all made up. Yeah. Um, the cal- Calcium and carrot tops, would you like to tell us about that? Because that yes. it was quite interesting. Yeah,
0: so there's there's a lot of things like calcium is one of the most important um, nutrients, of course, for gardening. It's something that plants need day and night. Um, and it, it's also quite a hard thing for, um, for plants to uptake. Uh, In terms of adding as like a kind of organic um, natural uh, spray or something to the leaves, the leaves struggle to absorb calcium. So what you want to do is is water it with the roots. So you can do things using Korean natural farming methods like making a fermented plant juice, which is using organic um, sugar with carrot tops and it's weighted down and it creates this beautiful thick juiciness that you then dilute one part to 500 with water and then you water that or you can do other things such as you can get oyster shells from your fishmonger or you can save eggshells and then you can actually um, bake these for about 40 minutes around kind of 180 degrees and then you soak these in raw apple cider vinegar that is another way of extracting calcium that you can then water into your plants
1: oh that's fantastic and what are the signs that something might be calcium deficient in your with your crops uh
0: that i think i think um i'm really bad with telling nutrient deficiencies <laughs> because uh, i have this um i have this did
1: your crops grow so well right <laughs> yeah i mean there's there things
0: like uh purple leaves and stuff like that but but honestly it the way that i do it is a lot of nutrient deficiencies are really difficult to actually tell apart. Um, and you're like, it could be a few things. So what I like to do is is more of a holistic approach where I actually try a few things to mitigate. So you always step in. And the chances are, if you, for me, and, and this is, I think, and I'm not trying to brag here, but I get, <laughs> I, I, there's only like one instance of a potential mineral deficiency I had this year. Um, but what I like to do, is just make sure I'm proactive in focusing on the soil because as long as kind of that side is sorted, you'll experience a lot less nutrient deficiencies.
1: And tell us about putting the beds to bed.
0: Putting the beds to bed. <laughs> this time of year, yeah. Yeah, so if you're growing in something like a, an allotment or if you've got big containers or even kind of like little raised beds, um, this time of year, it's currently November, what you want to do is... You want to, if they are empty, you want to make sure that you prep them and keep them nice ready for next year. So, what you want to do is firstly remove any plant matter, but you want to keep the roots in the soil. So, cut them at the base. The roots is just going to help the biology within the soil. What you can do is any of the plant matter, you can chop it up really finely and spread a one to two centimeter layer over the top and then mulch with around two to three centimeters of compost. And then you can just cover this with cardboard to stop any weeds growing through. And then when it comes to spring, you just kind of peel back your covering and then you've got this absolutely beautiful soil to grow straight into
1: and you would do that with containers and pots as well potentially i would or? yeah um because can you reuse compost i think yes this is absolutely something we think about yeah so I imagine if you're doing that, if you're putting your pot to bed or whatever you finished with, yeah. you are helping feed it to be then reuse. Yeah. It's going to save you money because compost isn't cheap, is it? <laughs> no, it isn't.
0: It isn't. And it's why like, if, if you focus on making the highest quality possible compost, the less compost you actually need to use.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. And you get asked a lot of questions. Oh, um, What would you say is amazing? <laughs> You don't get asked a lot
0: uh, No, of no, no. Don't don't get like I'm constantly <laughs> replied to YouTube comments.
1: <laughs> exactly, which is why it's perfect for me to ask you. But in terms of small um, space growing, what's been the most common question that people ask you?
0: Um I I think it's almost what you you mentioned earlier on in our chat is what what kind of crops should I focus on first? Um I think the other thing as well with small space growing is that I actually take a lot of inspiration in my garden from small spaces because small spaces are... are forced because of a limitation of space to think outside the box and how to become more productive so utilizing things such as vertical growing or becoming a lot more um, uh, clever with uh, plugging gaps and intercropping all, all those kind of things so what I actually use is um, I, I go online and I use sites for example Pinterest and I look at small space gardens and I get loads of ideas that I can then implement in my own garden really so yeah just get tons of inspiration there's loads of amazing content out there online that you can get um uh, and also from magazines that you can get really good um sources of inspiration from and now is the perfect time to do it because we're in the rest period of being gardeners so now we can kind of dream ahead about the upcoming growing season
1: oh super Um, And how are you harvesting? If you're in a small space, if you're in a raised bed or a pot, how can you harvest crops without disturbing the other crops? Do you have any tips on that?
0: Um, It it depends on the crop. Again, like, if you're growing something like potatoes, of course, it's, you know, that's like you just want to grow those in their own pots, for example. Everything else can uh, realistically (laughs) be be grown together. If you're trying to harvest up without damaging other crops – What I'd say is just pull it out gently. Uh, Obviously, if it's something like leaves, you can use some scissors and you can cut off leaves. Um, Obviously, if it's peas, you're just picking off your peas and your beans. If it's something like beetroot, uh, multi-sowing, for example, works really well because you're just removing one from a clump. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a really hard question to summarize because every crop is quite different.
1: Oh, completely. I thought. I thought I'd try and throw you, throw you with with that one. And if you are growing in a small space, you know. I mean, obviously, one of the classics is the sort of square meter gardening. But do you grow in a small space, whether it's a container or a pot? Are you growing in drills, in lines? Are you growing in squares? Are you growing quite randomly? What's your approach?
0: Uh, grow in the way that brings me the most joy. Because as well, if you only have a small space, chances are that's also your relaxation space. Um, and maybe it's a space where, you know, you, you hang out with friends and stuff, and perhaps you want to bring bring a, a degree of ornamental thinking. So I, in that case, I'd definitely plant a lot more organically, so it feels a lot more natural as a space rather than a kind of like a production line or something like really intensive. So ultimately it's down to you as a gardener there's no right or wrong you can either grow in lovely wavy lines or just a bit of everything all over the place um or like really regimented straight lines i think that just comes down to personal preference
1: and throughout the year how do we just keep our crops coming any tips on that
0: what i like to do is do something called a monthly planting plan so instead of making kind of my year plan on a bit of paper and that's what I'm going to base my whole garden off. I actually go um, into the effort of planning out each month because it's a lot easier when I'm in that month. uh, It it kind of relates to the garden plan; it was very closely related to. And on each month, I'm I also note down what I need to plant ready for next month, what I need to be aware of, what's the main harvest. So I constantly use that as my kind of personal assistant in the garden um, to really make sure. Uh, that I'm covering all of the bases. And it's really useful to have that month-by-month overview because you can then foresee potential gaps that are upcoming, for example. And and um, behind focusing on soil, I think for me that's been the second most impactful thing in terms of improving my productivity.
1: Oh, super. And what do you think is the biggest challenge to growing in a small space and how can it be overcome?
0: I think the biggest challenge is being strict with what you do and don't grow and again it's 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 all down to um personal preference the other thing um i mean the thing that's great about small spaces is that they're a lot easier to water um so you know that that that's a very useful thing you're not having to walk all through the garden or or things like that you've you've got it all pretty close um but yeah one of the hardest things is just being strict with what you can and can't grow and you've it's important not to plant everything all in all in april because then all the space is occupied and then you can miss out so in a way what i'd say is like make a list of six seven or eight of your kind of staples like i must grow these make sure there's space for those and then then if there's any space for anything else grow that
1: what are your must grows you've mentioned herbs salads a- a- any other crops that you wouldn't grow with it? Well, obviously,
0: being in Wales, it has to be leeks. Um, <laughs> uh, leeks, uh, tomatoes, garlic is is a massive one. I this this spring, I discovered the wonders of green garlic. Oh, that is so amazing. Um, oh, uh, green garlic is basically harvesting immature garlic, and you can use the stem and also the bulb, and it is just such a beautiful flavour.
1: Is it sweeter? What's the difference in the
0: taste? Um, I'd say it's a little bit more subtle. Absolutely. Yeah, it, It's it, well, it, it isn't as strong. And... Um being able to use the green part of the garlic stem as well is, is really exciting. Um, and it means you don't have to wait until June or July when you're harvesting them. You can actually enjoy it. I'm, I'm actually about to plant a load in my polytunnel so I can harvest them even earlier next year. So you can get that your initial garlic harvest uh, sorted out. Um, but then again, in terms of my musk grows, I'll, I'll have to put things in like kale and potatoes and 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 stuff like that.
1: Oh lovely and I love your tip that bigger isn't always more you know with the tomatoes you were mentioning smaller any other tips for maximizing our harvest that we could do if we're struggling with the space that we've got to get more?
0: Think carefully about each season and I think I think it's when you're growing in a small space like no matter what kind of gardening you do you have to make sacrifices and I think I think one of the challenges that i could have mentioned earlier actually is is in a small space because it's there's there isn't that luxury of being able to have a few beds separated for winter crops and stuff you've got to think carefully about well if i'm growing winter crops which unfortunately take the majority of the growing season to develop and that means it's taking up space where you could be growing faster kind of summer crops you've got to think ultimately if I'm just growing summer crops, that'll be the most produ summer and autumn harvest. That'll be the most productive thing. But there was something so special about going out on, you know, Christmas Eve or Christmas morning, and and picking like a red cabbage or something for your garden. So again, just just have a think. And and the other thing is that whatever experience you have in gardening there's always going to be failures and that is just a part of gardening you're at the mercy of mother nature of the climate we can't be control freaks we can't we can't kind of be slaves to the seasons in a way what we want to do is actually embrace that embrace that not everything is going to go to plan and actually um focus on what works well and what we enjoy
1: and something you mentioned earlier, watering. I mean, that is a challenge with small space. I mean, pots obviously dry out quicker. Even raised beds dry out quicker, don't yeah, they? Yeah,
0: but at least, at least in a small space, there's a lot less um, walking and a lot of things as well. Is because you're growing so much more things together. There's naturally a lot more soil cover, so mm-hmm. that helps to reduce evaporation um, levels as well. So you've you've the the pots. Try out quicker than, say, a big raised bed. Um, but if you're using stuff like uh, compost and if you're kind of uh, mulching the surface of the co- uh, pots with something like wool packaging or something, then that, that's a great way to reduce evaporation. Just think carefully about where you can store some water. Um, just like for me, I'd, I'm would i happy to sacrifice growing space for a bit of extra water storage and another composting station because I know how much uh, how much easier that's going to make gardening for me. And you, you want to also think about your time. Your time is limited what kind of sacrifices do we have to make in our space that is actually going to make us enjoy it more and not think, oh, I've got to go all the way back to the kitchen to fill another watering can. Because ultimately gardening, not just growing food, it should also be our escape. It is a fantastic thing for our, our well-being and our mental health. And it's, it's the thing that's forever adjusting that you're always going to create your own style, your own space, but never settle for how it is now. Always be willing to change things
1: and i know you're a biology man more than chemistry but rainwater the nitrogen in it you know i think there's something so lovely about collecting rainwater and yes. using that as opposed to tap water
0: absolutely yeah um uh cuz cuz my um cuz the garden is is connected to a small holding um we actually tap uh, there's a stream um so whenever there's like really heavy rainfall we get stream water into the into our uh, our water tanks and yeah rainwater is is such a luxury. And, and um, some places in America, it's actually illegal to capture rainwater. So we've got to make the most of it here. Yeah, well,
1: we're very lucky, even if it's a water butt. I think it's, oh, uh, it's, it's, it's a nice luxury. It's that
0: security because, you know, if we have a long period of dry weather, I know that I've got a load of water there just in case. And it's it's nice to have that peace of mind. The thing that keeps me doing it is because i i can escape from the hustle and bustle of life uh i I love growing in a way that encourages uh wildlife to the garden so there's always kind of bees and butterflies and insects and birds around me um and and a a close friend of mine who's another gardener she's called um liz Zorab, she said that you're not you're not um lonely in the garden uh it's more of you're alone but you're with wildlife and you're with other things so you don't feel lonely you just you just feel a part of something that is away from crazy human civilization
1: and if you only had a small space would you still bother
0: i would i'd bother twice as much i think (laughs) thanks for listening to the bbc gardeners world magazine podcast so if you've enjoyed this episode please tell others about it and rate us in your podcast provider app and we'll see you next time